Hey, all you ladies, good morning, sweet faces. Morning, Zoom land, how you girls doing? From all over the country, I see. Very nice to have you with us. Um, every once in a while, we get a very special visitor, and today we have Miss Nancy Yocum with us. Yay, we are so glad to see her today. As I've told y'all, I was at Christown when I was much younger, and and you were too, yeah. <laughs> and Nancy used to be the first hour coordinator and she made beautiful baskets of flowers and she always made sure everything was very uh, welcoming to the ladies. And in the day, in those days, it was hundreds of ladies that were here. And we should pray for that at some point. Again, uh, get that ever-widening circle to be ever wider. Thanks for visiting us today. I want you to know she hasn't changed one bit. That's a true story. Look amazing. Good to see you. That love of the Lord that keeps you young. I, I tell you what. So let me get started here. So what are we studying this year? Anybody know? <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit. So our, our verse for the year is um, Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. The Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Today we're on faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this isn't a list, ladies, of just things that we can accomplish on our own. We need the Lord. We need to know him. We need a relationship with him. Because if we don't have those things, then it's just illegalism. And we're going to try our heart out and we're not going to get it. You know, when Galatians was written, believers were new. You know, Christ had come. And believers of old followed the law, and now they're finding out, well, Christ has come and fulfilled the law. What does that look like? Do I still need to do this, or how do I get over here? And they were, they were just all tripped up in it. And so Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians, look, if you're following the Lord, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to have these fruits, right? These fruits don't come from just checking things off your list, right? These fruits come from the spirit in you and being part of Christ and on his vine. So we're going to talk through our way through faithfulness today. And you know, it's a really big topic. <laughs> so just, I know that I'm going to try to give you guys an overview and some things to think about and pray about. And um, I have lots of verses for you. We probably won't read them all together, but just know that um, they're there for your edification. and to know that this is not about me just making up something to talk to y'all about. <laughs> if that was the case, we've been done a long time ago. So let's just say a quick prayer. Dearest Jesus, we just thank you so very much that we can all be together, whether it's through the internet and Zoom or in person, Lord. Your word is true and you are good and you're faithful, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we could just get a small glimpse of that faithfulness today and understand and appreciate and worship you for who you are. I pray that you would keep our mind in the lesson, Lord. Open our hearts to your truth. Convict us where we need changing. Grow us. Teach us to produce good fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we talk about faithfulness, of course, where do we start? With God. God is faithful. He's not just faithful. He is faithful. Faithfulness. That word is the idea of being constant. Never changing. Firm. 
throwing their obligations. Sure, lasting and reliable. God is trustworthy. We don't ever have to worry about him changing his mind. And so when we hear the culture say that things are okay, that God has said are not okay, we can look at his word and we can know that his word is still true. No matter what the culture says, God is true and he's faithful and he's not going to change. So I want to start um, reading uh, in Deuteronomy 7. And God's talking, it's talking about the children of God, of course, which is Israel. I'm going to start in verse um, 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The, do- the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, or for you are the least of people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the land of Pharaoh, from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it's the same for us as believers. God has called us to be his people. We have done nothing to earn that salvation. We, we can't be faithful on our own. We can't produce fruit on our own. God does that through salvation. When we accept him, Christ as our savior and become his child, then our journey begins, right? And so he has chosen us. So it's important to realize where faithfulness comes from. He chose us and he is faithful to us. And then I wanted to look for a minute here at um, Deuteronomy 32, 4. It says, he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. You know, when God gives testimony to himself, he lets us know that he's faithful. And he does that through the stories of the Bible, you know, by recounting history to us. So often when God speaks of himself, he calls himself, I am who I am. And that's an eternal phrase for God. There is no beginning to God and there is no end. He just is. He always has been. He always will be. And when God would speak to the people of his people of Israel or to anybody. And in the audience of the New Testament, Jesus would refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what is that referring to? It's referring to God's faithfulness. These are relationships I've had with men and I've been faithful in keeping my promises to man. So this is how he shows us that he's faithful by recounting his own stories, by reminding us how he has journeyed with us from the beginning. He's a promise keeper. We don't ever have to worry about him breaking his promises to us. And those promises are positive and negative. You know, we're promised rewards. And we're also assured of justice and judgment. This faithfulness is balanced by God's love and mercy and and justice, too. He's not all just, you know, (laughs) what we kind of make him out to be like this big happy guy in the sky, right? He, He calls us and he ask of us in return and we can be faithful because he is faithful when i want to be encouraged you know where i look i start by looking at the old testament you know i always look for people before me who can encourage me and i love the stories of noah he was faithful in his time he had a family and god called him to build an ark 
And do you know that it had never rained before? And it had never flooded before. And God asked him to build an ark. He probably didn't even have a concept of what God was asking him. Never even seen a drop of rain before. And Noah spent 120 years building the ark. That's faithfulness. Did God explain to him? God told him how to do it, but he didn't really explain. Did, did Noah need to know all the details? No, he just needed to be faithful and obey God. I love that story. I'm not sure I'd have been so faithful. I'm like, God, are you sure? I mean, all these people are making fun of me. <laughs> you know, you sure you want me to keep up with this? Convince me. And then, of course, there's a story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Think about being a young 13-year-old girl, and the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, you're going to have a baby. Even though you've not known a man, you're going to have a, be have a baby, and it's going to be Emmanuel, Jesus. And you're engaged to be married, and this looks really bad. Are people going to believe you? Wow, this is really hard. You know, not so Joseph knew he hadn't had relations. So what would he have expected? That there was someone else. And maybe the general people in general would think, well, you know, they had premarital relationships. But she praised God for the chance to serve and to be his maidservant. She didn't hesitate. It doesn't talk about her weeping on her bed for weeks and trying to figure it out and getting her emotions. She immediately praised God. Would I have done the same? And what about David? David, who is the apple of God's eye. And you think, why was he the apple of God's eye? He had, he had a man killed to gonna, so he could take that man's wife for his own. Had a child by that woman. Illicit relationship. This is the apple of God's eye. Why? Because David held on to God no matter what was going on in his life. Whether he was being persecuted by Saul or ruling a country of an unruly people or running from the enemy or whatever it was in his life or sinning. He knew that God was there for him. He never doubted his relationship with God. He always turned to him. So David was faithful. In Psalm 9, in Psalm, in Psalm 9, you see his worship. But I wanted to turn to Psalm 51 real quick. You know, this is what we all wonder about. How, how did that work with David? How did he stay so close to God even when he messed up? And Psalm 51 is known as his prayer of repentance. And he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, I imagine there was a season there where David may have tried to justify himself or maybe even hide, but he's laying out his sin before God and said, you, you know, against you and you only have I sinned, he says in these following verses. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. We need to be really sure that we're open with our transgressions and we're not trying to hide them or make it, you know, rationalize it or bury it under the rug. We cannot have the fruit of the spirit if we are harboring sin. Do we understand that? And even if we've justified it, and then he praises God through it. He says, restore to me the joy of, my, of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He trusts God to forgive him. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You know, we're never going to be at a point, ladies, where we don't mess up with our husbands, our children, our friends, whatever. We mess up. But it's that humbleness before God and that it, willing to admit wrong and to confess to God. That's that draws others in. Oh, I want what they have. I want what they have. I want that humble heart. You know, I love looking at the Old Testament believers for sure. That, and their story, you know, there's so many of them. Look at Hebrews 11 and go through and get the stories of the different ones. Enoch and Abraham and Rahab and how they were faithful to God in spite of circumstances. And ladies, we're coming to a time where we're going to have to be 
And I'd say we're already there. We have to be faithful. Faithful in what we believe, regardless of what the world tells us. And so, you know, the Old Testament believers, they, they functioned under the law. And by direct revelation from God, God spoke to Mary, spoke to Noah, spoke to David. We don't have that relationship, but we have the Holy Spirit in us all the time. We don't have to wait for special revelation. We have God's spirit. We have his word. And that's how we walk out our days. So in Jesus, you know, Jesus was born. He lived and he died. And he said, you know, it's okay. I'm going away because you know what's going to happen? It's better for you because it's not just going to be me. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be in you and with you every day, every moment of every day. And that's much better than me just being here on earth. And then Jesus himself, what happened when Jesus died? He rose again. Easter's coming. I hope you're getting ready in your hearts to celebrate Easter. You know, Christianity wouldn't be Christianity without, the, without Christ raising from the dead. Right? Hallelujah. Men can die for someone else, but men can't die or be raised again. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.17 that Jesus now is at the right hand of God. And he's our advocate. He's our faithful high priest. And he says, don't hesitate to come to me. Bring your sins to me. Bring your prayer requests to me. I'm here for you. I'm at the right hand of God. He's not gone anywhere. And he says, you function in me like a vine in branches. And that's where your fruit comes from. So Jesus is the word. The spirit's in us. Ladies, we have everything we need to be faithful. But yet we lack, don't we? And we even have more than that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There are so many rich verses on these. And I hope you, when you actually, when you go back and you read these, read the context, at least start at the beginning of the chapter. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So whatever's going on in our lives, God doesn't think it's too much. And he's given us a way to get through it to be faithful. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, he says he guards us from the evil one because he is faithful. You know, part of Christ, what Christ does at that right hand of God is he advocates for us. The devil comes and he accuses us. Look what she's doing. Look at, look at the stuff she's done. You can't possibly save her. And Christ said, yes, my blood covers her sin. So he's always standing there. That should overwhelm us, girls. That should put us on our knees. So we have this wonderful relationship and everything we need. So let's um, let's talk about the keys to faithfulness. I found this saying, I thought it was really true. Faith is the root of faithfulness. You can't be faithful, faithful if I don't believe. And in Hebrews 11, it tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I hope it's real. That means hope is an assurance. It's a hope that means, yes, and I believe this. This is where our hope comes from. We have this assurance we don't have to question. The conviction of things not seen. I guess it wouldn't be much faith if we could see everything, would it? We don't. We can't. We can't wake up in the morning and see what God has throughout the day for us. We don't know why things happen. We don't know why people die when they do, or get ill, or suffer poverty. We don't know those things, but God does, and we have to faith based on our faith and who He is and what He says about Himself. We know we can trust Him. Part of that, I think, is remembering who we are. Who are you in Christ? Let's look at 1 Peter 2. A couple years ago, we spent a lot of time in 1 Peter. I think we spent a whole year. I just never get tired of Peter. You know, when you think about Peter, he, um, what, what do you remember about him? What does most people remember about Peter? He messed up, didn't he? <laughs> he messed up a lot. 
I'm like, man, I can relate to this guy so much. Um, but he had to learn faithfulness. He didn't start out faithful. He messed up quite a few times and very publicly. It's carried on in, in, in the scripture. Um, he tells us, he kind of reflects back what we read earlier about the Old Testament. He says, you, he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's who you are as a child of God, chosen, royal, holy, special. And if we remember that, it helps us remember how much we need him to, to keep that relationship. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he tells us to be imitators of Christ. Remember the, what would Jesus do bracelets? You know, they were so popular. But I always thought maybe there was a little something missing there, right? Because what would Jesus do in that context can kind of mean whatever you think Jesus would do. We really need to know what Jesus would tell us to do from his word. It is so important, ladies, that we don't assume that we know what Christ thinks. We should be digging into this, his word every day. We are so entrenched in such a wicked world. It is so easy to get sideways. Those of you, of you who know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, yesterday, my brother-in-law was killed in a plane crash. And my sister-in-law has spent every day pouring over God's word, looking for encouragement, looking for him. And, and wanting to honor him. She hasn't spent, I mean, she's cried and she's lonely and she's heartbroken, but she still wants to honor God. You know, I think that's part of being sober-minded no matter what's going on in our world, no matter how we feel about things as Christians, we hold on to him. When I think about that, you know, and then you're thinking about the Old Testament believers and then you're thinking about people in our realm, we might think of Corey Ten Boom or Elizabeth Elliot as women who were very faithful very faithful. You know, if I want to imitate Christ, I look to ladies who've done that before. I look for what it looks like. And invariably, it's women who are willing to be sober-minded or willing to put God's word over their feelings. That's so very important. My sister-in-law calls it doctrine, put it over, instead of over the word, over doctrine. The doctrine just means rightly interpreting the word. What do I do when I'm really upset, when things really hit me hard? Do I just come all undone or do I find my center? Do I find my, I don't like that term, my grounding? In God's word. It's part of our witness, isn't it? How we handle those things. I think of our Jan, who we haven't seen in a couple of weeks, at least. But Jan's had some real heartache, but she still has what? Joy. Anybody who knows Jan sees joy. She's lost two children, two different um, situations, and both very hard. And she still chooses joy. And she has a very childlike faith. And I always say, I want that. Give me that. Let me be around you. <laughs> Let me rub on you a little bit. What is it, you know? Or do I turn to the world for comfort? What am I going to get there? Well, nothing grounding. Probably a lot of emotion. And emotions aren't bad. I mean, grieving is a necessity. Crying is a necessity. But it needs to be governed by truth. I need to be sure and confess my sin. I don't know. I think when you compare your thoughts to what's in God's word, you begin to realize just how sinful we are. Let's see, I'm going to read to you. 32, 1 through 5. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. 
My vitality was turned into the drought summer. That's what we just talked about. Don't hide our sin. God knows when we've sinned and he sees us. We don't, we can't hide. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. And then trust God for who he says he is. Psalm 32. Can't go wrong with scripture. 10 and 11. 32, 10 and 11. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So that trust goes hand in hand with being thankful. It's really hard to be thankful when we don't trust him. What happens when we're not thankful? What kind of things surface? Hmm? Anger. Good. Old stuff. Old stuff. Complaining comparing look what they got how come i'm in this position and they're not self-pity Ooh, that's an ugly one self-pity but god tells us to be thankful in everything for this is his will for us and if we're thankful it pushes all those things away we kind of talked about this briefly but we need to understand suffering i'm going to turn back to first peter for a minute here why do we suffer ladies if god is god why do we suffer that's probably the main question that keeps people from from the lord for his glory, to grow us, to mold us, to make us more like him. It's funny how that works. But on the other side of suffering, we can often see him so much clearer. When we're suffering, what do we do? We have a choice to him or away from him. And if we turn to him, he grows us. He molds us like clay. I think in times of suffering, we realize, hey, you know what? It's not all about me. I know you guys have all had your own times of suffering. Don't let suffering scare you because it's often the time we're the closest to him. And then he tells us to be faithful in the little things. Sometimes we wonder why we don't have a bigger job or a more important job or, or a significant job. And God's just calling us to be faithful in the little things. Our life is made up of so many little things. And if we're not faithful in those little things, he's not going to bring us the bigger things. That can apply to every area of our life, just the little things. The little things we don't think are important, but God does. He's asking us be faithful. How are you treating the people around you? How do you treat the people when you're checking out at the counter at the grocery store? Or how do you treat somebody who cuts you off in traffic? Or how many times do we mouth off at this or that or grumble or complain? God says, I want you to be faithful even in these little trials. You think you're going to be you know, all stirred up about these little things and somehow you think you're going to be faithful in the big things. It's all part of training and self-control and learning to be sober-minded. Here's what Peter says about suffering. He's talking about being faithful in the little things. He says, but the end of the, all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. It's a time to be serious and watchful. You know, we think about, you think things are hard, you know, but when you look at the background of this book and when Peter was writing, Romans, the Roman Empire was in place. And they were particularly cruel and particularly cruel to Christian people and use them as a scapegoat many times and they would take Christians and do what? They'd crucify them. They'd burn them like torches at night, feed them to the lions. I mean, we think we have it tough, you know? We think, oh, it's never been like this before. You know, it's always been like this. It's always been like this. It's always been this dance between good and evil, this total war. God tells us we're at war. And so when he's, you know, when he says these things, in light of that, these are very simple things he's asking us. He says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Seems like kind of a funny thing for him to be talking about when there were such big problems. But he's asking him, be faithful in the little things. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things, what? God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Be faithful in the little things. How about money? Are we wasteful? Do we buy? Do we spend out of our budget? That's a, that seems like a little thing, but God expects us to take care of our money. Be faithful for our money. Our money is a outward reflection of what's going on inside. Do I trust that God has given me all I need? If that's the case, then I'm not going to go spend my hand on work because God obviously thinks that this is enough, and I'm not going to be wasteful with what I have. Money's a big deal. There's hundreds of verses in the Bible about money because God knows how high we are to it. You know, it's not the love of, it's not money that's evil. It's the love of money. When I put my wants above what he's supplied. So be faithful with little. So let's talk a little bit about what that looks like in being faithful in our relationships. When we think about our relationships, it's good to think about this. The way things process in us is we have a feeling, turns into a thought, and then into an action. So we need to be really careful about our thoughts. I'm sorry, it's thoughts, feelings, actions. I got that out of order, but thoughts. So our thoughts are really, really important. So no matter what we're dealing with, we need to be monitoring what's going on in here. Our line out today is going to be on scripture memory, and that scripture memory is a really helpful way to make sure that um, we're being counseled by God's word and not being counseled by our feelings or our situation or our circumstance. So let's think about our husbands. Just think for a minute. What are your thoughts about your husband this morning? Did you get mad at him? Did you get under your skin a little bit? Were you rolling your eyes on the inside, even if you were smiling on the outside? Those thoughts, ladies, those thoughts are really, really important. And it's important that we keep our thoughts for good towards our husbands. You know, the Proverbs 21 woman, her husband could trust in her. He trusted her to back him up, to be his helpmate, to be doing what was in his favor, to be thinking on his behalf. Somehow we've turned around where it's all about women. And men are kind of like very disrespected. That's wrong. You know, as believers, we're to be equally yoked. We are to, to um, the husband is to be the head of the home. We are to be his helper. God has very specific things about how it should all work. We've got it all out of, out of order. When you get dressed in the morning, who do you get dressed for? You dress for yourself? Dress for your girlfriends? Dress for the guy next door? Are you looking for anybody but your own guy? It's really, really important. You know, ladies, when you think about faithfulness in marriage, of course, one of the ways to be unfaithful is in the um, intimacy area, which would be adultery. Anything outside of marriage, any intimacy, any sex outside of marriage is sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been married before and you're divorced and you're with another guy. That's sin. If it's, you know, it's to be, you're to keep yourself pure unless you're married and committed. But there's more than one way to be unfaithful to our husbands. And that could be an emotional affair. There have been plenty of marriages torn apart just by the fact that someone has turned their heart to someone else even if it never plays out into the sexual realm. Be really, really careful about who you talk to. Ladies, I would say that women should not counsel with men, nor you shouldn't be counseling a man, and he should, you, you shouldn't allow another man to counsel you. You say, what? No, I'm, I'm not kidding. 
you know, when, when a, if, if you go to a, even a pastor with your issues, what's going to happen? He's a man. He's going to empathize with you. He's not likely to hold you accountable. And there are feelings that develop there. If you have issues, I really advise you to seek an older godly woman. You know, we're a Titus II ministry. The older women are to teach the younger women. And God set it up that way. We have this safety net in each other. I hope that you each have someone that you could turn to, that you could trust to be honest with you about, about you, you know, that doesn't just buy into all your stuff. We all like to find somebody who just really builds us up and encourages us. And if some guy wants to cry on your shoulder about his wife, send him packing. Let him know you can get him the name of a pastor you know. Don't spend time. It's too easy for the feelings there to entwine. It's okay to go as a couple. We actually have a couple who will counsel the people at the women at Christown and their husband if they want to bring him and he's willing to come. That's the best case scenario. Who do you want to please? That's the key question. If you're married, it should be your husband. If you're not married, God steps into that protective role when you don't have a husband and he's a faithful husband. So just be careful when you hear yourself stay, saying stuff, this unkind to your husband. Oh, he's driving me crazy. He's getting hard of hearing. He's driving me crazy. I can't hear. We were the ladies. We were all at the um, table this morning complaining about our husband's lack of hearing. Yes, it's hard, but think of the most generous thing you can when you think of your husband. And the feelings will follow. If you begin to choose to think about the good things about him, think about what you can do to uphold him, to help him, to be his help. Your feelings will change. Those feelings will follow. You're not going to feel in love every day. Ask anybody in here who's been married more than a minute. <laughs> Feelings don't stay constant, but our commitment and our vows do. And it's our job, ladies, to stay in love with our guys. We are told to be our husband's friendly lover. Am I friendly to my husband? We're talking about how hard it is to be feel friendly when you're having to yell because they can't hear you. I said, right? how do you say that, Jim? What I said was, you know, it's hard. You just got, it's a different mindset. Get your little bullhorn. <laughs> but do think about the things that are positive about him. And I'm not trying to be Pollyanna here, ladies. I'm trying to tell you how to work through it. You're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. There are going to be days that are so difficult. And you're going to wonder, do I want to stay here? Do I want to keep this going? And know that you took a vow before your God and before others that you would love this man in sickness and in health till death do you part. And there may be something that happens catastrophic in your marriage. There could be adultery. There are many, many marriages, especially in this ministry who have recovered from adultery. And sometimes they say it's even stronger marriage. Not that you want to go there. It's a horrible thing. Maybe there's a loss of a child. Do you know how hard that is on a marriage? It is catastrophic. Or a man loses his job. A man losing his job, they say, is emotionally as traumatic as a woman losing a child it is really really hard on a man's soul to feel that he's failed as the as the um provider for the family so get to know your man get to know his strengths and weaknesses and learn how you can step in beside him and build him up that's being faithful be faithful to your commitment to be his mate his helpmate his friendly lover his partner for life you know, we meet people, we run into people we've known, we've been married 44 years by the grace of God and by this ministry, 44 years this month. You know, we'll run into people that are, we haven't seen in many years. Oh, you guys are still together. 
And it was like this, you know, yeah, I should get her. <laughs> but they just can't fathom that people stay together, you know. I never thought I would get married and stay married. There was so much divorce in my family. I thought, well, you know, my husband says he'll never, you know, my guy, Rosie says he'll never divorce me, but, you know, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't know that I didn't know any better. And there was a whole society of people, ladies, the people who need you to be their friend. You just step in to that gap and help them to see that God has a plan for their marriage. This is a throwaway society and marriage is right in that category of being thrown away. If you're not happy with your guy, if you've outgrown him, if you want to move on, if you have things that are hard, just divorce the guy. I had a situation um, where a young man's wife uh, separated and then I, another lady we know common said, oh, I've already been looking for a girlfriend. I'm like, hello i mean they're not, they're not divorced they're separated and she was trying to find him a girlfriend and she was not there was no embarrassment in that i was like i can't go there that's awful you know you know you want them to work their marriage out but that's the world and not many people are hearing this so that's in, so a little bit of encouragement to be faithful to your husband how about our children how are children viewed in this society as a, as a nuisance? I, I about fainted yesterday. I shouldn't have, that shouldn't have surprised me, but it was a news story. And it was um, about a ruling in Texas. You know, they have the most, they have the strictest abortion laws apparently right now. And they had interviewed two women. They were just distraught and crying because they couldn't get abortions in their state because their pregnancy had um, interfered so much with their life. Took my breath away. A pregnancy. No, they call it everything but what it is. It's a child. And ladies, if you have abortion in your past, God forgives you. You have to, you know, we ask for forgiveness and God forgives. If you know someone who's done that, it's no worse than any other sin. Just confess it to God. Be humble. You know, many people don't see that it's a problem. Without the Holy Spirit, how would you know? When you're told it's this, it's a nothing. It's just an interruption. It's your choice. I even saw, I saw a mom last week in an event, little kid in each hand and her t-shirt said, I'm a mom who believes in choice. And so I thought, so these kids, what are they going to think when they grow up? Oh, I guess I got to be here because my mom thought it was okay. But what about it? You know, it's like, seriously, you're going to boast about that? And you have, I don't know. I couldn't even figure out the logic behind that. But children would be valued, right? God values them, and we show them value by what? By loving them. We are to love our children. We're to be fond of them. We're to train them, to teach them, to value them. That doesn't mean we let them. That's not a, just a wimpy kind of love. It's a love that really cares about the people that they are, investing in them, teaching them, teach them manners. That's the very first thing. Teach them to get along with other people. Teach them God, about God and the Bible stories ladies that takes a lot of time and then you got your grandkids they're even more fun <laughs> i'm seeing something no <laughs> must be a grandma that does a lot of things <laughs> and we need to keep our word you know plus and minus like god does you know we, we promise them they're gonna we're gonna go do something we need to keep our word we tell them they're gonna get um, disciplined for something we need to keep our word our faithfulness is what they see and that will rub off on how they see God later. So we need to be women of the word and faithful. And what about our friends? You know, it says to love 
at all times in Proverbs. A friend loves at all times. You know, I think we're pretty quick to cut off relationships anymore. I see that in my extended family. And, you know, if something's not going right, you don't agree with something, you just cut them off. But I really think if someone's a true friend, God wants us to stick it out through the hard times and the good times. That's how we grow. You know, if we're, if we're a man alone on a hill, we're not going to grow. We have to have that rub. We need people to challenge us, help us to grow. And just be careful in that friend arena who you're giving, who you're taking counsel from. Are they like-minded? Do they value the word like you? Do they value, what are their values? Take counsel from those who love the Lord. Not that they necessarily believe and uh, agree with you, right? And then be willing to, to counsel and love. And all this adds up to glorifying God, to being a witness, right? Titus 2 wraps it all up in a tight bow and says, so that we don't blaspheme God. We need to be faithful to love him, for that to be a, a big fruit of our life, being faithful. When someone thinks of Jennifer Romero, do they think she is faithful? When someone thinks of, put your name, when someone thinks of me, would they, would they count me as faithful or wishy-washy or sometimes or on and off? Let's all learn to be faithful together. Let's encourage each other to be faithful. I'm so glad to see such a nice bunch of ladies this morning and all my Zoom friends. And I hope that you have someone among us that you look forward to seeing each week and touch base with in between so that you can encourage each other. And I pray that you're part of the ever-widening circle where you're sharing God's word being faithful to speak the truth. There are times to be quiet, ladies, but this is the time to speak. We're in an age where we need to speak the truth because holding that truth up exposes the fall. And if we're just quiet, people won't see. We need to glorify our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time to spend in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Lord, teach us to be faithful. We want to be faithful, but we fall so short. Pray that you would. Grow us, mold us, and convict us. In Jesus' name.